Welcome again to week four of Dirty Bible Words. We've talked about forgiveness, submission, doctrine, and today we're going to look at word number four. If you've missed the first three, if you are a guest or visitor with us and you want to check them out, you can find them on our YouTube pages, St. Peter or The Core. We have different sermons from both locations. We'd love for you to be blessed by those messages as I pray you are today. Last Sunday after church and going home and taking a nap, I, I boarded an airplane and flew to Columbus, Ohio to visit my parents. And on that trip from first Appleton to Chicago and then Chicago to to Columbus, uh, on that second flight, I I started to think about today's sermon and today's word. I didn't have anything to write with. My my bags were all packed and above and stored away down below. And and so I did what any person would do in today's world. I, I took out my phone, I opened up notes, And I started typing. Like I didn't want to lose the thoughts. I had some really great ideas. I was going to work on the sermon during some of my downtime at home. And and as I started typing, I looked to the person sitting next to me. And she had her phone out like this and was kind of angled toward me. And I had my phone out like this and was kind of angled toward her. And that's when I realized over the next few minutes what made today's words so dirty. Like three things. Like the first thing was when I started typing, I, I realized that when you write a note, the, f- the first thing that happens is they put it in bold, big letters. The person sitting next to you can read it. And, and so instead of writing dirty Bible words, hell, I wrote dirty words, week four. Because I didn't want her to see what I was writing about. And then every p- bullet point down below that I was making, I, I scrolled up quickly so she couldn't see all the notes and everything that was going on because I... I didn't want to offend her. And here was the kicker, the ultimate thing that put over the top. The first time I wrote today's word down, it literally added an apostrophe. Like my phone auto-corrected from hell to he will. Because obviously no one would type that word. That's got to be the word. That, that word's a dirty word. This word is a very used word, right? And that's when I knew while for a 51-year-old Bible card-carrying Christian who's, who's heard the word, talked about the word, was told by his parents never to use the word, but never really thought of it as a dirty word, that all of a sudden it became clear to me that in today's world, it, there must be something with it that caused even a pastor to not want someone sitting next to them to, to see them typing about it, right? I didn't want to be questioned. I didn't want to get into a deep conversation. I just wanted to work and land in Columbus and have some notes for the next day when I got there. And one of my notes that I had typed was, get sats on hell. Like, what do people believe about it? And that kind of opened my eyes as to why it's probably a little bit more dirty of a word today than it ever has been. Like 20 years ago, Barna, that does religious surveys and religious polls, found out from statistics that 70% of people believed in hell, that it was a literal place and in a place of punishment. Less than believed in heaven, but, but nearly three-quarters of American society believed in hell as a literal place. Now, 15 years later, in 2016, that had gone down by 10%. Like 60% of people, according to Barna, now acknowledge it as a literal place, but 40% aren't sure or definitely don't believe in it. Fast forward to 2022, the latest survey Barna did on the, on the topic, and you're down to 50. 
like in a matter of less than 20 years of American history, 20% less people believe that hell is a literal place. The statistics don't lie. It's probably why it's a dirty, danced-around word in religious circles and in relationships. And then you look at our culture and our world today, and there's probably not just statistics, not just our own living proof like I've endured of why it's probably dirty, but, but let's just be honest. Like most people believe hell is a place for a few select people who are really bad. Like the serial rapists, the mass murderers, the, the worst dictators in all of history, right? Like, like I hope there's a place for people like that, but most people don't go there. I won't go there. Which made me think of why perhaps it's a dirty word. Because to you and to me, it's dirty because we don't want to believe that, that good people that we know, that people in our lives, could possibly end up there. I mean, the truth is, most people in America don't believe anyone goes there. Like, I've never once read an obituary that said, that person was the most awful person ever. They are in a worse place. And they deserve it. I read a lot of obituaries that are, they were a good person. And they're in a better place now. But the Bible says, narrow is the path that leads to heaven and few will find it. And so I'm glad that today's list made the word made the list. Because we live in a world and a culture that defines how you get to heaven and, and who, sh- who ends up in hell so differently than how the Bible describes it. And so yes, if you're new here, I understand you're going... He's going there? Yes, I'm going there. Because our church and our members need to go and hear about this word. Because like I said before, 11 of the 13 times you find it in the Bible, they're found in the Gospels. Like a lot of people say hell's a made-up a thing, the churches come up with their own definition. It's a scare tactic to, to coerce you to live a certain way. 11 out of the 13 times the word is used, it's in the Gospels. The Gospels are about the life, the ministry, and the message of Jesus Christ, his teachings. 11 of the 13 times the word hell is used in the Bible, it is spoken from the lips of Jesus Christ. Not Peter, not Paul, not his disciples who could be accused of making something up to scare the world. No, the one who came into the world, God himself, uttered the word, talked about the teaching of it. And we do well, the Bible says, to listen to him. So today, what I want to do for you with this dirty word is answer four difficult questions. Like to help you have some answers on the word hell. Literally, what is the Bible's teaching and doctrine on hell? Second, I want to answer the question and wrestle with the concept of of hell and a loving God. Like one of the greatest arguments against hell is a lot of people say, I can't believe in a, God, a loving God would send anyone there. I, I want to answer or help you see that question through a different lens. How would God have us answer it? Third, I want you to be able to answer very clearly and understand very clearly what is it 
why does someone go there? What is it that causes someone to end up in hell? And, and why doesn't someone end up there? And fourth, I just want to be able to answer the question, what this means for you. What's the action item? What would God want you to take away on such an important topic that Jesus spoke about it more than anyone else ever? And he spoke about it more than just about anything else. So let's listen to Jesus to help answer the first question. I want to share five passages with you from Jesus' own lips about what is hell, what is the doctrine, biblically speaking, of hell. If Jesus Christ uttered the words, what does the Bible tell us? Not Pastor Tim, not his church, but what does Jesus himself say to us on the topic? Well, here's what Jesus says. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. They can literally take your life, but after that, they can't take anything else. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has a thrower authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, the context of this passage, Luke 12, you can look it up later, is basically this. Verse 1, uh, where we're told of, of the scene, there's a crowd of thousands gathering around Jesus. Verse 2, he turns to his disciples, his 12, speaks directly to them, even though others are in earshot and probably heard it. And he said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Like their unbelief, if a little bit gets in, it could end up corrupting your soul. He then says these words, don't be afraid of the person who can take your life. No, fear the one who can and has the ability to determine and will determine where you go in eternity. And what follows it is simply this. The why behind the what of Jesus' statement is, the next words Jesus says to his disciples are, you will be persecuted, they will arrest you, they will put you in jail, and you, some of you will die because of your faith. Which is why Jesus says, I want you guys to know, it's going to be hard in the moment when someone comes after your life, threatens your life, tells you to, to zip your lips, to save your life here on earth. It's going to be tempting. Don't fear them. Fear the one who has the ability and will determine where you spend eternity. Because Jesus knew that James, shortly after he ascended into heaven, was going to be beheaded by those Pharisees. And he didn't want him to back down because he knew eternity was at stake for James. He loved James. So Jesus made it very clear that there will come a time when if someone takes someone's life after that, it's not the life to worry about, it's eternal life. And God determines it or Look at some of Jesus' other words and teachings on the topic. Matthew 5, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' basic point was, if your hand causes you to sin, like, and you can't control it and you can't stop it, it'd be better for you to cut it off than to have your whole body end up in hell. Like, lose your hand here so you don't lose your life for eternity. Like, it's extreme. There's better ways to do it. Come talk to your pastors. We'll help you walk, walk you through it. We'll fight sin together. But Jesus' point was, it'd be better for you to, to lose a part of your body here than to, to burn in hell for eternity. Hell, Jesus said, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. This passage is Matthew 25, not 1 Peter 2. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. You heard me read it before. Hell. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The story of the rich man, the poor Lazarus, Abraham speaking to the rich man in hell who said, 
Abraham, send someone back to tell my brothers and sisters about hell and how bad it is so they don't end up here. When you put all those together, Jesus, his own lips, the Bible, God's word, gives us four takeaways on the doctrine of hell. And some of them apply to both heaven and hell, but uh, today specifically we're talking about this word. Hell, first of all, from Jesus' own lips, from all those statements, Israel. Like there are religious scholars that say, well, the words are confusing. We don't translate them well. Whether we get the translation perfectly, sometimes the word for hell is Gehenna, the valley that was in and outside of the city. You know what the valley of Gehenna was outside of Jerusalem? The place where they threw their garbage and was constantly on fire and burning. So it's kind of fitting that people would refer to it as a visual illustration of the ultimate punishment of hell. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like it was a great smell. Jesus says it'd be better for you to to die here, but not die eternally, because at one point, God will call the shot and can send you to hell. It's better to cut off your hand than to end up in hell. There will be a day when Jesus returns and judges everyone and sends some away, cursed are you, into eternal punishment, hell. Hell is real, according to Jesus' own lips. You might not like it. It might be hard and difficult of a teaching. You might think it's a dirty word and should never be uttered, but Jesus uttered it for a reason, because it's real. Take up your argument with him, not with Pastor Tim. Point two. Hell is a reality after one dies. Like you've heard the phrase, I'm going through hell. Like I'm enduring hell on earth. Like life can be bad, really difficult. You can be going through horrible pain and horrible suffering. And when someone uses the illustration, they're talking about how bad it is, how hard it is. It is not hell. It's broken. It's messy. It's ugly. But there is no such thing as hell on earth. Earth is not hell. It's a place where sin is. Hell is a place where sin is punished. Hell is a reality after one dies. Hell is a reality for eternity. Point number three. Where the worm doesn't die, where the fire never goes out, eternal punishment. Fear the one who can kill the body eternally. Like, I need you to hear this. The world maybe thinks the word is dirty because of this, but hell is really awful. It is really awful. Like, I know how painful just a small, minor, first-degree burn can be, how long it can last. Like, you know what fire does to things? It destroys it. Like, your house catches on fire, it'll take it down to the the foundation, leave nothing behind if the fire department doesn't get there. Like, fire is destructive and, and painful, and it, it burns things up, but the fire of hell does not stop burning. It goes on and on. And at the end of the day, what makes hell really awful is God isn't there. Like the rich man, he pleaded with Abraham to send somebody back because he didn't want his family to end up there. Because he knew there was no way out of there for him. 
When Abraham said no, they got the word of God and the prophets. He's like, can you just dip your finger in some cool water to quench my tongue for just a second? Because this is awful. And sadly, we don't do justice to, to the Bible's doctrine of hell when what we send around are, are gifts and images of Satan dressed up in a costume, giggling and ha, ha, ha. Like, it's fine. I won't say it's sinful in itself, but our world thinks it's dirty when we talk about being awful because a lot of people look at the devil and go, he's a lot of fun. And finally, hell, eternity, heaven and hell is under God's authority. Like God calls the shots on, at the end of the day and splits them up, sheep and goats. God's the one who sees the heart. God's the one who is the de determining factor, the one who makes the decision on where someone ends up. That's clear teaching of the Bible. When it comes to eternity, God's in control of it. When it comes to hell, God designed and created it for the devil and the evil angels who rebelled. God has designed and created heaven as an inheritance for those who, who are believers in him. Eternity, heaven, and hell, where people end up, all the things that they are, are under God's authority. As much as we would like to think, and partly why it's a dirty word, I would guess, is because people don't like that God calls the shots on heaven and hell, and who goes where? So if God's the authority, if hell is really awful, if it's what happens after one dies, if it is real, then we need to get the answer to the next question right. Because there's still going to be some pushback from people, and why it's probably, in our world today and culture, one of the dirtiest words, people love that God is love. But when a church teaches and says, that there's a place called hell that God will send people to, they don't understand how that's possible. How can a loving God send anyone to an awful place? I won't ask for a show of hands because some of you probably believe that or think that. It's the wrong question. It's not a fair question. It doesn't really understand God. And to really see the answer to that question, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Could God, sending people to hell, be loving? I, I want you to look at this verse. You probably never thought you'd hear John 3, verse 16 in a sermon on hell, did you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Like when someone asks the question, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? I want you to remember and think of the right question. What did a loving God do so that no one would have to go to hell? He sent his son. Like Adam and Eve fell. The sin that Adam and Eve ha committed has been passed on to you and me. The wages of sin is death. What you and me and all people deserve is hell. Like, I don't like hearing that. You don't want to hear that. But the truth is, that's the truth of 
what we deserve for, for sin. We're born with it. We can't do anything about it. We're dead in it. We're condemned in it. And so a loving God sent his son so that you and I might be saved, so that the world might be saved. Like a loving God sent his son so that that wasn't going to be the case because he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And I bring that up three times over in there, what a loving God did. He, he didn't send Jesus in to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. It's not that God sends anyone to hell. God declares the final judgment, but unbelief, a person's rejection of God, because a person, whoever, you notice the focus is on the person, not God, whoever does not believe stands condemned. A person who doesn't believe in God is condemned. In fact, I would argue with you that the fact that God makes the final declaration and, and, and does send people ultimately to hell because they don't believe and want nothing to do with him is, is actually loving. God will not coerce you or twist your arm into believing. He won't force himself upon you. He sent his Holy Spirit to break down the walls of your heart. He longs for, like Jesus longed for the, the Israelites to, to come back to God, but, but when they were not willing, he wept, but he did not make them. God does not coerce anyone into faith. He sends the Holy Spirit who works through the word of God but if someone rejects and does not care, if someone lives in unbelief and doesn't follow God's word, God eventually, like he says in the book of Romans, lets them go. Because that's what they choose. Like the question is wrong. Like I challenge you to, to think through long and clear if someone ever says that, if you think it, how could a loving God send that good person that's not what saves good people. Because here's the truth. You and I are in no different boat than, than all people who don't believe in reality. Like every person is deserving of hell. Like Jesus' statement, when he gives the laundry list of all the things that were evidence in Matthew chapter 25, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. There are times, my friends, when you and I have not done that which would make us guilty, right? Like, there are times when I intentionally don't help people. Like, if the record of sins that God says are things that exclude you from the kingdom of God, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who slander, those who get angry, those who have lust or are sexually immoral, those who gossip, uh, those who, you know, the list could go on and it covers just about everything in the few places the Apostle Paul talks about it. Like, no offense, I check all the boxes. Like, anger, yes. Selfish, yes. Lust, sure. Perfect husband and father, I'd like to say, I've hit that box, but no, check. Like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like when it comes to hell, all of us deserve it. Like when we point the finger 
in the direction of others, see that through the lens that if it was not for the only answer to how one does not end up there, it is not because you are a good person or a better person or you carried a card, Pastor Tim, for 51 years as a Christian. Because those verses condemn me and you and everybody else. So how could it be possible that we could hear the other statement when Jesus stands before all people at the end of time? Let's look at the, the next set of verses so that we hear what the answer God gives, the righteous to eternal life, will be our answer. See, here's filling in the blank. Sorry, I didn't do this before. What condemns? Why does someone go to hell? Sin condemns you to hell. Unbelief, unrepentant sin. Like, sin condemns. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Sin will condemn you to hell. Sin condemns all to hell. So how does one not end up there if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? The thief on the cross knew the answer. Like the thief on the cross understood fearing God. Remember what Jesus said before, fear the one who at the end of time can make the ultimate determination of where you go. Like he was in the process of losing his earthly life And here's what he had to say. To the other criminal, he rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. Like he knew that because of his sin, he was dying. He knew that the crimes he had committed were heinous and horrible. He knew that the people jeering were excited about what he was getting. And he also knew that the one next to him did not deserve it. For whatever reason, by the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment, maybe over the course of dealing with his sentence and thinking about that day, he got real with God, he got down on his knees, and he saw in Jesus Christ the, the God who had come to rescue him. He knew who he was, and in that moment, he, he declares that he believes in him. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like, Jesus, I know I don't deserve it. I'm getting what I deserve. You don't. The only way I can get there, the only way I can end up there is if you, if you remember me. To which Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Sin condemns to hell, unbelief, rejection of God, unrepentant sin. But Jesus saves you from hell. Like it's what I wish I would have thought of when I had my, my moment of This is a dirty word. Like, what if she would have seen the word hell and asked, why are you writing about that? Because I know Jesus who came so that that I won't end up there. Because there's a place that, that God has made and Jesus is the only way to get there. It's called heaven. It's called eternity. God wants that for all. So I'm preaching on that. Because when Jesus talked about hell, I want you to think about this. Why would Jesus be the person who speaks the word 90% of the time? Because he knew how bad it was. He knew what it was designed to do, punish the devil and his angels. He knew that God didn't want you or me or anyone to go there. And he knew the only way that we wouldn't go there is if he went to the cross and endure the very pain of hell, being separated from God, so that you and I might be saved. 
Like you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, when you listen to the words of Jesus that God so loved the world that he sent his son, like when the conversation of hell comes up, you can't overlook the love of God and you always need to come back to the fact of the only way to be saved is by grace through faith. It's not because you're good. It's not because you carried the card for 50 years. It's not because you came to church on a regular basis. It is only because of the blood of Jesus that you've been rescued from all your sins, that hell is not your destination, that heaven is. Jesus saves us from hell. Which is why I want to leave you with one last fill in the blank and, and put something on your heart, a last question that I'm not going to answer for you but I pray that the Holy Spirit will work on your heart and lead you in the right direction. When it comes to eternity, like if the doctrine of hell is real, if the reality is that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that what it is that condemns, what we all deserve is hell because of our sin, but because of Jesus, faith in Jesus saves. Unbelief and unrepentant sin lead to hell, but faith in Jesus saves. When, when it comes to eternity, one or the other, <coughs> What one believes affects how one behaves. <clears throat> I used that last week, but when it comes to the doctrine of eternity, heaven and hell, what one believes, that it's real, one is awful, one is amazing, that the only reason we get heaven, not hell, is because of Jesus Christ and faith in him. All those doctrines, all those teachings, what one believes affects how one behaves. And I want to speak to two areas first, to you, and then I want you to think about them. Like if all these things that we talked about today are real, that unrepentant sin, unbelief, following your passions, your desires, living in those sins, not turning to God, leads to hell, then I need to, to speak to your heart today. Like are there things in your life that you need to get right right now? Like if you're living a double life, if you're keeping something from God, if you're going down a path of sin and you know it's wrong, if hell is real and heaven is real, if Jesus will come back one day and you don't know when it is, if the only thing that gets us there is faith in Jesus, if you're on that path, if you're living a double life, I pray that you will stop and pause and get down on your knees and repent. And that each and every day I pray that that you and I will be people who are willing to repent. Lord, I, I have fallen and I have failed. If the only way to heaven is through Jesus who saves, to live a repentant life, we won't be perfect this side of heaven, but, but God's called us to turn from sin and go and sin no more. If there are things in your life that you need help with, encouragement with, reach out to us. Expose sin for what it is. Get it out of the darkness. Because God doesn't want you to end in the dark, up in the darkness forever. It's why he sent his son. And you need to get your heart in the right place with God, but I think it also will affect how one behaves when it comes to others. Like Paul knew, this is good and pleases God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth that there's one mediator between God and man, the man who came, Jesus Christ himself. When it comes to the go route, we make excuses a lot of times to not tell. We sometimes convince ourselves, well, they're a good person, they might get in. We sometimes say, they'll get it right eventually. 
If hell is real and hell is awful, if there are people in your life who don't know God, if there are people in your life who are down a path of unrepentant sin and you see it and you know it and you care about them, build a relationship. Tell them about Jesus. Don't hammer them with the law. Don't lead with hell. But have heaven and hell and eternity on your heart as you think about one is awesome and and one is awful. And God doesn't want it for them. And maybe just maybe you're the one person who knows them and can share that with them, that Jesus Christ is the ransom for all, that God has saved them. Hell is a a hard word. Maybe even a dark word. It's definitely a difficult word. And in our world, it's a dirty word, but for Jesus, it was an honest word. Because he knew its reality. And he wants you to know that he paid the price in full, really completely, to do not fear. That by grace you've been saved through faith. That the gift of God is eternal life. Let's pray that God would work on our hearts to celebrate the greatest of all truths that we've been rescued from hell and that heaven is our home. Heavenly Father, like this is not an easy topic. There are people that we know that don't believe in you and we, we don't want them to go there. But we know that unbelief and re- unrepentant sin, it, that's what will happen. So work on our hearts to, to exercise our go route to see how we might in love uh, share you with others so that they might know that, that, yes, there are two eternal options, but the one you want for us, you so love the world that you sent your one and only Son, and that those who believe in you, just like that thief on the cross, have life because of what you've done. Lord, work on our hearts, too, in the areas that we need to be refined. If there are sins that we're holding on to and that we need to let go of, work on our hearts to be humble, to confess, to, to daily run to you, Because we know alone, Lord, you are the one who saves. And you long for us to turn from sin and and grab hold of the life that you have given to us through the Spirit. Lord, we pray for these things in a culture that that views this as dirty. But let us see the ultimate truth of, of the victory that is ours because of you. That death and hell have been conquered and that heaven will be enjoyed by all who believe.